0: So it's exciting that we are going to be working through the book of Hebrews together as one whole church family across multiple locations. So what I'm preaching here, Tim is also preaching currently in, uh, in Fortybridge. And if you want the better version of what's going to be preached today, I encourage you to go and look at Spotify later today. Tim will do an outstanding job, I'm sure. <clears throat> and I will do an adequate one. So it's, um, now of course, oh okay, right, here we go. So today my goal is to give really an overview. That's what we're going to be doing today, an overview to this letter, which is God's word written primarily to Jewish Christians, those who are converted from Judaism to Christianity. Now of course this letter that we're going to be reading and looking through together is not just exclusive to Jewish Christians, God's word is good for us all, Amen. Okay, this letter in particular is richly packed with theology. Theology that is intended to bring about a quickening, a quickening of maturity for the reader. I'm going to wait for that to be uh, resolved. Should we do that? Should we we switch up? There we go. Okay, we'll just do it like this. That sounds good. That's, that's better, isn't it, already? There we go. Okay, right. So, this letter, richly packed with theology, theology that is intended to bring about a quickening of maturity for the reader. An exhortation, I believe, that is just as good for us today as it was for the audience then. Now, I do believe God wants to speak to us On this subject of maturity together this morning, as he does, he he doesn't want me to just deliver information to you, but to impart his heart through the study of his word, which is both, according to the Hebrew writer, living and active. God's word is alive today as it was yesterday, and there is something about the way that God speaks when you press into him and his word. As I'm looking at uh, today an overview of this letter to the Hebrews, I feel God is going to be drawing parallels to how he was preparing his people then, to how he wants to prepare us now, and the quickening of maturity that he wants to install in us as we press ahead together in him. In that light, I believe God will speak to us prophetically today and has already done so, but I still believe he's going to continue to speak to us prophetically. And I want to prepare your hearts for that now. God might be stirring something as we spend time and look at God's word together. For we will be hearing uh, or give time afterwards to hear Him from God as we respond in worship and give time for the body, which is us together as a church family to bring again contributions of encouragement that build us up and bring about within us a quickening of maturity among us as a family. So as we dive into this overview, I think you could probably helpfully summarize this letter as a journey to maturity. A journey to maturity or maybe uh, an exhortation to maturity. An exhortation is where we're going to start. Okay, if you have your Bibles, could you turn to uh, the end of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13? Hebrews is near the end of your Bible in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some dotted around on the chairs, please take one. We actually have plenty to give away, so if you don't have one, take it with you. Or you can share with the person next to you, if, if they like sharing. Right. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. God, we don't want to just have information shared. We want to have your heart imparted. And I pray that your word, which is living and active, would be at work in us today that would, you know, for each and every one of us, not leave us here the same, that we'd walk out of here changed and transformed and going on that one step. Further with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, and we're going to read from verse 22. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Okay, so first thing to note, for anyone who's read this before, do you consider this to be a brief letter? (laughs) The writer is basically apologizing in advance that he has not been able to give a more detailed delivery. He wants to unpack so much more to his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, but at this time is unable to. Now, I'm guessing this is quite a subjective thing, We're, although most of us in the room have already agreed. I don't consider this to be a brief letter. I've, I've written very brief letters. You know, dear so-and-so, thank you very much for your time. Yours sincerely. <clears throat> it didn't look anything like this. In my mind, if you blow this up to font 14 in your Word document... This is dissertation material. So the writer may not have been able to share all the ins and outs, but he has given a word of exhortation. And given the context, it's not unreasonable to assume that there's a sense of urgency about this letter going out. The Hebrews needed to hear this as much as I believe that we need to hear this again afresh today. The word exhortation used here in this verse, comes from the Greek word paraklesis. And uh, paraklesis means a, a calling to one's aid, drawing alongside to help, to bring encouragement and offer comfort. These are the same words used to describe the role of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 17, got Jesus talking about how he will send the Helper paraklesis, meaning one who's to call to one's aid, to draw alongside to help, bring comfort and counsel. This is the person of the Godhead. That is his role with us, to draw alongside. So why would the Jewish Christians at the time be in need of help, aid and encouragement? So we're going to have a little dig into the date of writing and the context into which this letter is being written into starting with the date. So if you've read Hebrews, you will know I mentioned a man called Timothy. Uh, 1323 is a helpful reference. In the letter, that helps us to understand that it was most certainly written in the first century AD. Okay, So this is the first 100 years beginning at the birth of Jesus. And it's here in these latter years of that century that we see Timothy active in serving the local church. In addition, the writers... Use of present tense language in the book of uh, particularly sacrificial systems that we read of uh, in Hebrews also helps us understand the letter was probably written pre-A.D. 70. And A.D. 70 is actually a very important date to bear in mind because it's in this year that the Temple of Jerusalem, the center point for the Jewish faith, is destroyed and Jerusalem itself overthrown just as Jesus had prophesied in the Gospels. So AD 70 becomes a time of immense pain for the Jewish people, with over one million Jews killed, another two million enslaved and scattered across the Roman Empire. If the letter had been written post this event, it's probably likely we would have seen a reference point for it and included as part of its communication to the Jewish Christians. We don't know the author of the letter. Uh, you can have a good stab at it, but ultimately we don't know. The language is similar to that of the apostle Paul. Some say it could be Apollos with the support of Priscilla and Aquila. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. You know, what we do know is it has been commissioned by the Holy Spirit and it's been included in the canon of scripture that compr- comprises, not compromises, comprises of the 66 books we know as the Bible. I think another important contextual situation is also helpful for us to know at the time of this letter is that the Jewish nation as a whole had actually become quite hostile to Christians. It was actually no longer possible for Christians to worship within the temple precincts. So remember in the book of Acts where the church in its infancy would gather day by day attending the temple together? This was now not a possibility because of Jewish hostility to those who followed Jesus. This type of exclusion actually seemed to be quite a discouragement to the primary audience of this letter. And to add to that tension, it's possible that in response to the increasing crisis for the Jewish nation on the whole, what could be seen was happening ahead, the Jewish people were actually calling, making a strong appeal for all Jews to help them to bind together for their help. They asked for their help and their loyalty. And this created a tension for those of Jewish heritage. Where did their loyalties lie? In the one hand, loyalty to Jesus and all of his ways. And in the other hand, loyalty to Jewish people and all of their ways. And the writer seeks to address with his exhortation of urgency, the reason why loyalties cannot be divided. He seeks to bring clarity to points of confusion, especially for those who have lived, breathed, and practiced the Jewish faith. Theologically, the writer wants to show how Jesus is the climax to the Jewish faith. It is him who the prophets and the law point towards, and it is him that they should look to as the ultimate prophet, priest, king, and shepherd. This letter has been written to those who've been established in their faith for some time but are still showing signs of infancy. And it's time to come alongside with aid, encouragement and comfort. Bringing them, ushering them, encouraging them into a place of maturity where loyalties are not divided but given fully to that which matters most. Just pause in here for a moment because we are going to go on to see how the writer wants to steer the gaze of those he is writing to, the path to maturity he wants to lead them on, the season ahead he wants to prepare them for because the pursuit of maturity puts you in better standing in times of great trial and testing trial and testing where loyalties can be divided, faith can weaken. We may grow weary or faint-hearted, Hebrews 12.3. This letter comes as an aid to combat that struggle, to bring help, encouragement and comfort. It stood for the saints in those days, it still stands here and for us today. Amen. As we draw on these principles and apply them today to our lives, how does God want to steer our gaze, put us onto a path of maturity? How does he want to prepare us now and for the season ahead? Are you struggling with divided loyalties? Are you torn between this direction and that direction? Do you feel like your faith has been weakened? Do you feel weary or faint-hearted? I believe even today God will bring aid comfort and encouragement to you, but particularly as we give our attention to his word and this letter, we will find hope afresh in God, strength and faith increased, and loyalties undivided. So let's take a little peek into that journey to maturity and see how the writer to the Hebrews sets the trajectory for the church to be strengthened. So if we turn to Hebrews 6 together... And we're going to look at verses 1 to 2. So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The writer wants to move the Jewish Christians onward in their faith, not having to keep circling back to foundational, foundational truths. It's like learning to walk without moving on and discovering what it's like to run. They are the same foundational truths that we know of today of the grace given by God, this gift that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are eternally saved and set apart for God in order to do good works. And that this doesn't work the other way round. Our good works alone do not give us access to God. There is no indication by which we, with our own achievements, can save ourselves. And these foundational truths are taken and applied to the context of those Jewish Christians who are trying to outwork their faith in amidst of culture and covenant of which they have known for so long. So, if God permits, the writer and the team with him want to move them on in their faith and knowledge of Him who saves by grace, and this is done by delivering a doctrine of Jesus that demonstrates in this brief exhortation, how Jesus, the son of God is the fulfillment and one who supersedes all that which God originally gave to his people Israel building on those foundations of grace we have in the book these pillars of truth being established for the Jewish Christian and for us today a reminder of chapter 1 the supremacy of Jesus. It says that he is the radiance of glory of God. He upholds the universe by his power and is superior to the angels. Chapter three, Jesus is greater than Moses. It says in the scriptures that now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Jesus is faithful over all God's house as a son. Chapters 4, 5, 8, 9, and 10 are devoted to Jesus, the great high priest. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, and offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins." Chapters 7, 8, and 9, Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. A covenant here is an agreement between God and his people. Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant agreement. As the new covenant that he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Chapter 12. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He says, let us run with endurance that that the race that is set before us. See that language of running, how the reader wants you to take you from a place of infancy or foundational truth, not walking anymore, but pressing into maturity, which is where the running is happening. Let us run the endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god the the overall arc of this letter a letter that is, has a heart to bring jewish christians from infancy to maturity does so by steering the gaze of the reader to jesus christ and it does so by helping the reader to understand how the first covenant with god's people was only temporary it was only a shadow of things to come. In Colossians, Paul talks about how the old covenant is, is a shadow and you find the substance of that in Christ. You find the substance in this, The old covenant is a shadow and the new covenant in Christ is the substance. So this old covenant was always pointing to and would find its climax in the arrival, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So bearing in mind the context, to be a Christian at the time of this letter would have meant you were already under pressure of persecution from Jews, from both Jews and Gentiles. In addition, with a rising crisis for Jewish people en route, AD 70 was coming. And there would be an immense trial and testing for those who were Jews. How much more so then for those who were both of Jewish heritage and professed their faith in Christ. This letter brings an exhortation with urgency. The writer wants to quicken the maturity of the reader that they may be strengthened in their faith for now and the season ahead. That loyalties may not be divided, that faith would not be weakened and that they would not grow tired and weary. I need this letter in my life. I need God's word like this with a heart to take someone like me from infancy to maturity. I need my gaze continuously reorientated and fixed upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of my faith. I need this in my life because I want to press on to maturity with God, that God, against great trial and testing and seasons ahead, I may be able to stand firm in him. And that should be, you know, our heart, I guess, as a whole church family, to press on that we may stand firm in him. So what does it mean for us then? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. Today, we are living in the last days. This extension of time from where God has spoken through His Son, has birthed and is building His church, and has given to us His Holy Spirit. These last days are the, until the time when Jesus returns. In all of his glory, with all of the angels, with all of the nations gathered before him, when as a shepherd, he separates the sheep from the goats, the faithful from the unfaithful, until that time of his arrival in full, we are living in last days. And as one's living in these days, I believe God wants to stir in us, urge us to press into greater maturity in him. In drawing some parallels with the reason for the urgency of this letter, we too as a church family have been working through a season of trial and testing. At times we have felt faint-hearted and weary, and at times for us we're conflicted in loyalties. I believe God in these particular days, through his letter and through his people, would bring an exhortation to us together as his people. Aid to us through the power of his Holy Spirit, And his word that would be a source of comfort, of encouragement, and of strength now and for the days ahead. That in digging deep with God, steering a greater gaze to his son Jesus, we would move on together from the elementary doctrines, those things that are foundation stones for us, into establishing walls, windows, gardens, citadels, marketplaces, structures of areas of strength and beauty and it starts by steering our gaze towards Jesus these are not literal things although sometimes they may be literal the people of God is made up as a spiritual house together Jesus Christ is the cornerstone The foundations are the elementary doctrines of faith that we hold and cling to. The walls are those pillars of understanding how Jesus is the supreme one, the greater high priest, greater than Moses, superior to the angels, founder and perfecter of our faith. These are walls. They are gardens. They are marketplaces. They are our avenues and streams of activity of church life that are beautiful and fruitful and radiant as the church grows in maturity with him so does the reflection of the church in all of its activity in a way that it behaves to one another in a way that it worships in a way that it engages and reaches out into the community in a way that it 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 reaches deep into those areas that no other people would dare go because of a heart to serve, because of a heart to reach the lost. Upon foundational elementary doctrines, we build. But it starts with steering our gaze toward Jesus, the one superior to the angels, the greater prophet, priest, and king. Jesus tells us that those who are obedient to him Quite simply, are like a a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. We want to be a people who respond faithfully to what Jesus has asked of us. Now, we might be in a season of foundations, of placing our feet on the sure footing that is Jesus Christ, but be assured, church, God is calling us to press us into maturity with him that we may begin a new season of building together in partnership with him. There is... Much to do together here in Wimborne, together in Fordingbridge, eventually Downton. Let's be thorough about securing our footing, but let's be excited together about what is going to be built. And I believe that building is going to start happening right here, right now. I invite the worship team to come back up, please. Now, I realize it's, should we stand together? Should we stand together? I realize it's, um, it's 20 to 12, and so we want to honor our kids' workers by finishing on time, and yet at the same time, I, I don't want to be too precious about the time we want to give to the building up of one another in Christ. So I just want to call us now, even now, to have hearts that are stirred towards Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to come as help, as encouragement, as comforter to build up the body, this family who belong to Jesus. And I believe we are going to be in and have entered in and will be in a season of building up for us together as a family. There might even be here some who have yet to give their life to Jesus. And I believe God wants to encourage you as well this morning. God loves you and has a purpose for your life. But for this uh, church family, there is a wind of the Holy Spirit that comes with urgency to speak into the lives of individuals And us together as a church family. So we are going to worship together. We're going to steer our eyes to Jesus. But as we do that, I believe God is going to bring encouragement that will usher us through and press us into maturity with him. So Holy Spirit, I pray, come fill this place, equip the saints, stir up hearts, would you go about building, would you enable us through the power of God to build one another up, God you do something so marvellous in the way that you work in partnership with your family and you choose to build through your people. So would you continue to deposit your Holy Spirit in people's lives now and stir hearts? So let's worship together. But if you have a word, then I encourage you to come share it. And if you're unsure, uh, please come and check in with me. So here's a little tick box. God is love and love builds. That's your checklist. Does it strengthen? Does the word you got strengthen? Does it build up your brother and sister? does it align with God's word and finally just remember that we prophesy in part so something we should consider together as the one who delivers and one who receives but let's be open to what God is doing and saying to his church as we journey together let's worship